0: Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre based in Holy Trinity Brompton here in London. Jane Williams, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Graham Tomlin, in discussing God, life, theology, the Bible, in fact, just about everything. Welcome to another episode of GodPod. This one today is a little bit different from the others because it was recorded as part of a lecture which was given by Professor Alistair McGrath. this was a lecture generously sponsored by the Macdonald agape foundation and uh, alistair who is uh, the professor of science and theology in the university of oxford uh, gave a lecture at saint melitus college and after that jane williams and myself uh, engaged alistair in a series of questions and so what you're going to hear in a moment is a god pod which is the usual format of discussion, um, but it involves Alistair McGrath, uh, myself, Graham Tomlin, and Jane Williams talking about science and faith. If you want to uh, listen to the lecture, then please go on to our St. Melitus website, which is saintmelitus.org and there you'll find the video of Alistair's lecture as part of the McDonald Lecture Series. Just to start off, Alistair, I mean, What's your assessment of where the sort of science and faith debate is today? I guess it's been going on for quite a while, this conversation between science and faith, uh, and you've uh, outlined a number of approaches to it. Where, where do you sense it, it's, it's at in kind of intellectual culture today?
1: Well, I think the, the whole debate's been given a new energy by the rise of the new atheism, which very often saw atheism as a kind of... Um, inevitable outcome of science. And that that is certainly registered with the media. But I think it it, it is beginning to sound a little bit stale and simplistic. And there have been some very interesting surveys of particularly American scientists um, looking at how they respond to this perceived tension between science and faith. And the evidence strongly suggests that although most scientists are not religious people, they do not agree with this conflict or warfare model. In other words, they, they just say, look, it's, it cannot be, it is not that simple. There's a lot more to it than that. And that, I think, is a significant change, and one that I welcome. But on the other hand, uh, one of the things that does concern me is that um, there is a growing gap between... Um, Scientists who think about their faith and clergy who are able to resource scientists who are thinking about their faith, who very often don't quite understand what science is about. And so they, they may quote some Bible verses which they hope would be helpful, but the scientist isn't quite working at that level. And so I think there is an issue here about how the church resources scientists, so they're able to, A, develop their own understanding of their vocation of sciences, uh, as scientists and how they hold science and faith together, and, of course, help other scientists to think through these questions.
0: Oh, and where do you think the, um, the kind of exclusively scientific view of the world kind of came from? I guess, you know, within maybe the 1990s, early 2000s, there was this rise of a, of a body of thought that said, well, science is the only way of looking at the world, uh, there is no other way of looking at the world science has the answer to all the questions. Um, as you say, that's not universally held by scientists. But where do you sense that came from? Was there something that happened in that era that, that gave birth to that
1: uh, quite exclusively sort of scientistic view of the world? I think people are attracted to very simple answers to very complicated questions for two reasons. Number one, they're very easy to grasp. And secondly, it implies that those who give contrary answers are idiots, I mean, there is, there is a sense, you know, we have the answer, and these, these fools haven't, haven't seen that. So it does give you this sense of intellectual superiority. That worries me because, um, you know, when you, when you, when you've lived for a long time, you begin to realise that 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 short, slick, simple answers are almost certainly wrong and certainly inadequate. And so you really you just, just realise that actually this sort of thing. Um, It may be popular, it may appeal to people who who simply want simple answers, but the difficulty really is it's not that simple. And what you have to try and do is to say, look, you've got to listen to me. It's not that simple. And very often when I'm I'm debating with an atheist who's a scientist, I'll say my key agenda really is to try and persuade the audience that it's not that simple. There's, There's an awful lot more that needs to be said and can be said with credibility and integrity. And I guess um, just to explore one
0: or two of the areas where of possible convergence between, say, what religion would want to say and what um, uh, um, science want to say. I mean, I suppose one area is um, the idea of a creation, that in Christian faith, and not just in Christian faith, in other religions, there is this very strong idea of creation, the world is, a, is, is God's creation. Um, uh, but we also have the, the Big Bang account of the origins of the universe. Now, are they talking about the same thing? Uh, is there convergence there? Do you see that as a sort of confirmation in some way of, um, of a creationist view, uh, the view of the world as creation? Um, how do you see that uh, convergence of those two ideas?
1: Well, I think if we'd been here in this church a hundred years ago, we're talking about the origins of the universe, And there was an audience of scientists that they, they wouldn't be talking about that because the consensus back in the 1900s, 1910s was, well, the universe has always been here. I mean, it doesn't require explanation. That's just it. And there were a number of bestsellers around that time that actually took that position. And I think it's very important to note that there has been a massive change in our understanding since then. And interestingly, it's been resisted partly on scientific grounds, but also partly on religious grounds, because some atheist scientists sound, felt it sounded too religious. You know, Fred Hoyle's a good example, or Steve Weinberg, you know, but both saying, you know, the, you know, this is dangerously close to the language of creation, we don't like it. But it is, I think, an important illustration of this uh, point that I think needs to be made, which is if you read Richard Dawkins, you have the impression science is constantly taking us away from the narrative of faith. Well, you know, I'm sure at some points it is, but at other points it's doing quite the reverse. And so I think there is a need to be aware of the complexity of things here. I'm not saying origination, the universe came into being, and creation are the same thing. What I would say, though, is the scientific account and the the Christian account actually are very much on the same page. You know, they are clearly um, looking at the same thing and in effect maybe it's using slightly different vocabulary but you can see there's a synergy and a resonance there. And would you say
0: something similar of um, the idea of the anthropic principle, this idea that somehow the world is so finely tuned that it seems to have been made precisely to contribute human life? That you know for all the, the, the sort of factors were slightly different at the beginning of the the universe, it would not have been a sort of world that could have created beings like us do you see that as some sort of confirmation of faith how do you see that as sort of uh, linking together
1: with well if you're a christian religion? you'll probably say well look isn't that what we might expect you know if if, if that's the way god is mm-hmm. if you're not a christian you, you would say well you know maybe maybe we can offer a purely naturalist explanation of why that is and maybe you can but it still is something that requires explanation it is it is quite remarkable i mean the phenomenon of fine-tuning is not really in dispute it, the, the Big question is, what does it mean, if anything? I would say, I don't think it proves anything, but if you're a Christian and looking at it from this way of thinking, you'll say, well, actually, that's the sort of thing I'd look for. It sort of makes some sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, good.
2: It's very interesting, because one of the things you're saying, Alistair, that I can hear you saying, is that there are um, the kind of questions that we as Christians might want to ask are very often the questions that scientists say, we'll we'll rule that out, we're not going to let you ask that question. So the question about... Um, isn't it interesting that the universe has produced exactly the right conditions um, for human life? So, uh, an atheist scientist might want to say, well, that's just how it is. Um, that's not a real question. Um, is, is that part of what you're encouraging us to do, is to see that that just as um, scientists say, Christians rule out certain questions? Likewise... Christians say scientists rule out certain questions?
1: Well, I think I think some of them do. Now, I must be careful here. Not all of them. I mean, for me, the, the joy of science is that it keeps a radically open mind. But not all scientists do. Uh, I mean, I think that one of the difficulties is if you adopt a particular groupthink or mindset, then actually that, that in effect means you just rule certain things out of play immediately. It can't be that. Uh, and you will use rhetorical devices to prevent people discussing these things. I mean that, you know, oh don't give me that uh, old canard of creation, oh who takes that seriously? Well the answer is actually a lot of people do, we want to talk about and we're not going to be browbeaten by you into not talking about So I I think there there is a need to get these questions back into play and that, that I think is something we can do. We just say well look I know you don't like this but can we talk about this a little bit and see where this question leads us.
2: So, I mean, I, I, was, um, I hear what you're saying about how we as a church need to help resource scientists better um, to engage with other scientists. But for the likes of me, <laughs> um, I can't remember any science whatsoever, um, but would like to be able to engage with with what are the major questions for a lot of people in our culture. Um, uh, let me give you an example. I was walking down the streets of Canterbury a few years ago with, with my husband, who's quite a well-known Christian. and. Um, <laughs> Uh, And there was a group of very merry youngsters uh, late one Saturday evening on the pavement. And the minute they saw my husband, they said, can Christians believe in evolution? Um, And so at that kind of popular level, can you give us a a few sort of ways in which we as just ordinary Christians can become better apologists engaging with those? Well,
1: let's just take a few um, points that emerge from that question. One is, I think that... Most of us instinctively see a question like that as being a threat. You know, oh God, I can't answer this question. It's too hard. Actually, it's an, it's an, open. it's a, it's an opening for discussion. You may not be able to give a good answer. Uh, and in fact, I have some friends who, who are regularly asked questions like that and they will say, well, I don't fully understand this myself, but I, I have some friends who do, and they tell me it's perfectly possible. Um, maybe I could give you a book they wrote, something like that. I think that that is always helpful, because the difficulty is that many of us would feel that when we're asked questions, that would be one example, there are many others that we can't answer. We kind of clam up and just disengage. I think, I think one of the things that is helpful is to, in effect be able to rely on others who thought these things through because for someone who's not a scientist to be asked how how a Christian relates to science can be quite difficult. But if you know that there are answers and know people who are giving those answers, you say, well, actually, there's this person called John Polkinghorne who actually says some very interesting things. Now, as I remember rightly, he says this, but I think he wrote a book called This, which you might find helpful, and that sort of thing can be helpful because very often when you're dealing with a question that somebody's asking, once they see there is an answer, even if they 're not totally persuaded of it, you know, that actually can actually be quite an important moment of illumination for them
0: and Alice, you talked about um, the dis- distinction between why questions and how questions, and that broadly speaking, um, and I think I know you said it 's not quite that simple, but um, uh, faith tends to ask more kind of why questions science tends to ask more or how or answer uh, how questions. Um, and uh, I just want to drill into that sort of, it's not quite that simple part of it, because I guess there are certain things that faith says where there's a bit of an overlap between the why and the how. So for example, the resurrection, uh, which in one sense is a, is a kind of why question. Um, why are we here? Uh, it's part of the answer to that is the resurrection is this, this, um, uh, this future that we're headed towards. But it's also a how question in the sense that we say that that actually happened in, in history. There was a particular time and place where this man, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead and you could see him and touch him and so on. So there's a sort of scientific angle. So I guess that's maybe one of the areas where it's not quite as simple as saying it's a why and how question. So how do you, how do you approach something like the resurrection um, uh, at the interface between the why and the how? Uh, is that something which actually sort of breaks down that distinction between why and how questions? Or how does
1: it work? Well, let's go back one stage. I mean, very often um, a why question Turns out to be a how question. I mean, if I were to drop this glass of water, okay, and you please were to ask don't. me, no, I won't, no don't worry. Um, uh, you, know, you 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 were to ask me, why does that glass of water fall to the floor? I mean, I could describe it in terms of gravity and acceleration. And actually, uh, at, superficially, that sounds like I'm answering the question, why? When you start drilling down, I'm just telling you how. You know, there's this thing called gravity. What, what's gravity? Well, it, it's just there. You know, it's not really an explanation. It's simply giving you a framework which says this is how things happen. So I think that you need to be aware of that, that actually the why question is going much, much deeper. It's why is there gravity at all? Why is there anything rather than nothing? You know, these, these are quite deep questions. When you come to the resurrection, I mean, very often you have to say, "Look, um, this is what happened. This is something that's clearly, enormously meaningful. Why did it happen? Well, I'm not absolutely sure, but I can tell you what it means. Why it's so important. And I think one of the things that I very often find myself struggling with is trying to, trying to answer a why question, which actually isn't really about the question why, but is about something else, which is I'm trying to get at.
0: So the resurrection. It's both a why and a how a question at the same time.
1: It's a so what question. You know, if, if this is right, what difference does it make? Uh, and, you know, you know, very often um, Christians intending to be helpful when someone asks them about the resurrection will say, well, let me give you six good reasons why the resurrection may have been historic. And I'm sure there were very good reasons. But actually, I think the question being asked is almost certainly what difference does this make? You know, if this happened, and uh, you know, I'm prepared to talk about that, but if it did happen, why, why are you interested in that? What, what, what difference does it make if this did happen or if it didn't happen? Why are we arguing about this? What is so important about it? And that actually is a question I think we can give an answer to, uh, even if we can't give an absolutely satisfying answer to the question of showing it really did happen in the first place. No,
0: one other area you raised in your lecture was that of... Um, um, the extent to which we, we we can kind of know something of God through uh, scientific exploration, science might help us in faith in some ways. Um, now there'll be some Christian theologians who will be very nervous of that kind of approach. You mentioned Karl Barth, and of course um, you've just written a biography of Emil Brunner, who was a friend of Karl Barth's, where they had this famous debate over what's called natural theology, whether you could uh, tell something of God from the nature of things, and. Uh, Bart's famous response to Brunner was "nine no," nine, not as in eight, nine, ten, but nine as in German. If you know what I mean, um, it was a very firm no to natural theology, no to any sense that that, uh, that we can read something of the nature of God from the world, either because it's just so different from God. Um, or because it's a broken, sinful world and therefore we couldn't expect to see anything because it's it's flawed and we can't see anything reliable about God within the world. But there is quite a nervousness amongst some Christians and theologians about the idea that we could somehow read off the nature of God uh, from the world. So how how do you respond to Bart's
1: great no to that Well, I think that the nervousness on the part of some Christians would arise from a feeling that... um, what is the point of the Bible? What is the point of revelation? If we can just look at nature and read something of the character of God off from it. And I want to begin by saying I completely understand and agree with that concern. But there's another way you can look at it, which is to say, look, as a Christian, I have a set of theoretical spectacles that I put on when I look at the world. So I see it not as nature, but as God's creation. And that actually gives me an enhanced way of looking at the natural world. So in effect, what, what I would say is that, that, that for me, the Christian faith um, is not about nature proving there's a God, but rather I come to believe in the existence of a God for other reasons. And when I look at nature from that perspective, I see it in a new light, which I think enables me to appreciate more of nature itself, but also it helps me grasp something of the greater beauty of God. But I think, apologetically, there is a very interesting point here, and that is that that there are lots of people who've had what we might loosely call an experience of transcendence. Uh, And it's the sort of thing where people say, you know, I saw that sunset, and oh, I just felt there was something so significant there. Or it's like, you know, Wordsworth seeing the daffodils, and his heart goes, ooh. You know, know, it's, it's something that happens. And it... It raises questions. Is there something bigger than this I haven't discovered yet? One of the things I want to say is those openings are so important because if you like, they are momentary intrusions into a settled worldview where for a moment you're saying, actually, my theory isn't big enough to take this in. I wonder if there's a better theory. And so for me, the ability of nature to, um, to evoke a sense of wonder and to, to raise deep questions actually really is important. And the other thing I'd want to say is this. Um, We do tend to think about demonstrating the reasonableness of belief in God on rational grounds. I'm very happy about that. But I know all too many people who have said to me something like this. The thing that brought me to belief in God was the beauty of nature. And you see, beauty isn't, really a rational idea it's this you look at something and before you've really thought this is this therefore it is nice you know there's this automatic shortcut which in fact says this is wonderful this is beautiful and it's that which actually precipitates a lot of people into this way of thinking that can lead to faith So I think we need to be aware of the multiplicity of ways in which people make a journey of faith beginning from a sense of the wonder of nature and ending up trusting in God. There are many ways of doing this.
2: Um, Augustine, uh, in in the fourth century, said that um, Christians often make idiots of themselves. I am paraphrasing somewhat Augustine's language. Um, Christians often make idiots of themselves by... um, by running away from truths that other disciplines um, discover uh, and that uh, we should know as Christians that anything that is true is of God and therefore we shouldn't be afraid of anything that's true. Um, Is there something about um, a method that actually Christians could learn from science, that expectation of questioning and exploring, um, that, that actually we have backed away from
1: perhaps? well I, I think there is let me, let me begin by saying that I don't think Christians need to fear anything from science properly done what we need to worry about is a certain kind of scientist who in effect buys into a purely naturalist worldview and makes that part of the scientific enterprise in other words you know, it, it, it's a scientist with a, a worldview. that's the problem science by itself is wonderful it's not like that but the question you're raising, I think, is a very good one. And one of the things that science is asking us to do is to keep checking things out. And, and I mean, let me just give you an example. I mean, one of the things that's most interesting about science is that it it doesn't just keep checking things out, it keeps changing its mind. In other words, you, we used to think this, but now we think this, why? Because um, evidence has arisen, or we now see things in a new way, and suddenly realize that this is a better way of doing it than that. And you've probably read Michael Polanyi's book, Personal Knowledge, and, and that book is written as a scientist who, in effect, in fact, thought this line of thought, that there are many things I believe about the world, and I know that some of them are going to be shown to be wrong, but I don't know which ones they are. And what he was trying to do is to say, look, I, I want to hold on to everything until I'm forced to do so, but I don't want to be a radical relativist. It's, it's recognizing that science is not about a body of knowledge, but about a method which can lead to these things. So in other words, for me, a scientist is always someone who says, look, um, we think that's right, but do you mind if we just check it out? Now, for me, that's important at two levels. One is because I read my Bible a lot, and I know only too well that I fall into certain settled patterns of reading it. I find what I expect to find. And every now and then I read somebody who challenges me, and I suddenly realize, you know, maybe, maybe that's not right. Maybe I'm misreading that. I need to rethink that. And I think that is a very good thing. Paul, you know, is always urging us to put everything to the test and hold on to what is good. And that, I think, is, is quite an important point. But I think that there, there's another point that, that, that are, really is helpful here in thinking about these things. And that is that. Um, having so we come to faith in Christianity from science. When I started reading about things like the Trinity or the Chalcedonian definition, my instinct as a scientist was to say, well, I'm gonna check these out. You know, Why should I believe these things? And actually being forced to look at them and eventually come to the conclusion, actually, I think they're right, was very, very good for me. A, it gave me an inner conviction that these things were right, but also it gave me Reasons I could present to those who were troubled by them as to why they needed to be there and why they were actually things that were trustworthy and helpful.
0: And that's, I guess, exploring the side of it, which is how science might enrich faith. I'm going back to the other side of the question for a moment um, of how faith might enrich science. Um, and so I'm wondering a little bit about the significance of the, this idea of creation for. For science. I think it was the, um, the American uh, theologian Robert Jensen who said, um, said you don't shoot rockets at the moon if you think it's a goddess. Uh, in other words, you know, the idea that the world was somehow divine meant that you couldn't really explore it, you couldn't objectify it, you couldn't do experiments on it because it's a divine thing. You, know, you don't do experiments on God. And uh, so actually the Christian doctrine of creation, in other words, saying that creation is something separate from God, different from God, was actually quite significant for the origins of science. So um, do you have any reflections on, on that sort of history in the sense in which actually science could only emerge within a Christian mindset as opposed to one in which that, that sort of deified the world in some way?
1: Well, there is a lot of discussion about this in, in the literature. You know, why is it it science really arose in a Western context. Of course, I mean, you can see science in the Greek period, you can see science in, in the Islamic period, but actually what we would now recognize as modern science did really emerge in Western Europe, probably late 14th century. And, and you know, obviously you're, you're, what you are doing is you're looking at this development, you're trying to offer plausible explanations about why it happened. And certainly one of them is that Christianity is saying that nature is not divine, but it, in effect, is like a mirror of the divine. That, In effect, by, by studying nature close up and personal, you are gaining insights and appreciation into the God who created it. Now, obviously, there's an awful lot more that needs to be said. But you see, there's no religious prohibition. Don't do this. This is blasphemy. And there's also religious encouragement. To do this is to appreciate the greater beauty and rationality of god from the beauty and rationality of the natural world so for me that does make some sense obviously there is more that needs to be said but certainly i would say that um christianity with its emphasis on a, an orderly creation which is capable of being being studied and represented mathematically actually you know that 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 is a very good framework on which to build
0: So thank you, Alistair, very much for joining us today. It's been great to have this fascinating discussion. And so uh, on behalf of Jane and myself, we're really grateful to you you for coming in. And um, uh, to all you GodPod listeners out there, we will be back again with another GodPod before too long.
2: That was GodPod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.